Welcome to Redeeming Missions, a podcast from Every Home for Christ about the complexity of Christian missions and evangelism in our time. We host conversations that will challenge us through unique global perspectives and honest stories. Redeeming Missions is a podcast for ministry leaders, passionate evangelists, and the rest of us who might be a little bit more cautious or even disenchanted with the topic. Together, we're on a journey to find the heart of what it means to carry Christ to our world. I'm your host, Tanner Peak, and I'm so glad you're joining me today. Well, welcome to this episode of Redeeming Missions podcast. So happy that you join us. I'm really excited today uh, with the guest that we have, uh, a man who's who's been dear to my heart. His name is Glenn Packham, who is, uh, until most recently, I would have considered him my pastor here in Colorado Springs, uh, Colorado. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and read uh, just a little bit about Glenn. Glenn is the lead pastor today of Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mesa, uh, California. Glenn is the author of several books, including Resilient Pastor, which I can't recommend more highly. Uh, Blessed, Blessed, Broken, Given, and the newest book co-authored by his wife Holly, The Intentional Year. He's earned a doctorate in theology and ministry from uh, Durham University and is a, a senior fellow at the Barna Group, a visiting fellow at St. John's College at Durham University, and an ordained priest with the Anglican Church in North America. Glenn's also a, a worship leader. He's, he's written over 65 worship songs published by Integrity Music, uh, and he has four kids living and, and a wife living in Orange County, California. Glenn, thank you so, so much for joining us on, uh, on this episode. Tanner, it's just so good to talk to you, man, and good to see you and, you know, catch up here. Yeah, I, I got to be honest a little bit, Glenn. I'm a little... I'm still a little stinging from you uh, leaving Colorado Springs, moving to California. We haven't been, we haven't had a, a sit down to talk that through, but you've definitely left a hole in the in the Peak family for me specifically. Uh, that's very sweet. <laughs> Listen, we never saw ourselves leaving. I mean, you know, we were there for 22 years. Yeah, a long time. And and loved it. Um, but you know, when you when you feel the Lord tugging to say, hey, would you put everything on the table, or to use the biblical metaphor, put it all on the altar before me. Uh, sometimes the Lord really does take you up on those words when you say, Lord, you can use me in any way. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. surrender, you know. So here we are. We've been at Rock Harbor for a year, and it's, what? it's been wonderful. What a gift. I know, a year. It's been yeah. a year? It's been a oh, year. Oh, man. Yeah. I think since COVID, my uh, sense of time is pretty it's pretty messed up. So um, I I yeah. appreciate you, Glenn, taking the time, jumping on jumping on this podcast with me. I, I The way that we've been starting these podcasts is we just— have people share their story. And a lot of times that's all we end up talking about is <laughs> because I, wow. I love people's story. So I'm wondering if just as, as we get, jump in here, if you could just share with, with me and share with the audience just a little bit of your story, how, um, how you've become the kind of person that you are uh, today. <laughs> Yeah, that could be taken a few ways how I've become the person yeah. I <laughs> No, I meant it in the best no, way possible. No, 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 no. I, know. <laughs> I know. I'm just making a light here, like, you know. Uh, yeah, it's like a therapy session. No, listen, I, I, I look back at, at the journey so far, and I'm so grateful for the faithfulness of God, the kindness of God, and the kindness of people. You know, all, all of us, Tanner, we look back, and there's people um, that that um, contributed in significant ways. So I'll just map out some of the... the uh, you know the major mile markers of yeah. my story. I'm originally from Malaysia, yeah. um, and sometimes people hear me say that, and they're like, "Oh, you, you know, like you grew up there with your parents, missionaries." Like, no, 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 I'm from Malaysia. 
my mom was born in Singapore. My dad was born in Malaysia. They met at the University of Singapore. Wow. My mom was kind of a nominal Christian at the time. My dad was a Hindu. And as they started to date, hmm. you know, the, the, the joke is that she said, you know, I'm not marrying a Hindu. And he converted right away. Uh, you know, I say that sometimes to get some laughs. Uh, but the truth is it was more complicated than that. The Lord had been working in his heart and he had been fe feeling the kind of hollowness of the empty rituals uh, and superstitions in Hinduism and was really drawn by the the idea or the presentation of a personal God, a loving father. Uh, my dad would specifically say the idea of a loving father really gripped him, you know, so hmm. so he converted, but it took him a few years before faith really became, you know, kind of real to them. So by the time my sister and I came along, I have one older sister, they had both, my parents had really experienced kind of this born again moment that, that they hmm. would describe where faith became personal and real and, and full. Uh, and then they, they they were discipled by a, they were attending an Anglican church on the weekends and they were they were attending this midweek Bible study led by a Baptist pastor and you know and so they were kind of getting it from all sides and then they they started experiencing the charismatic renewal which is amazing because hmm. it's why Tanner I think to this day I, it's built into my bones almost like this appreciation for the wide diverse body of Christ you know yeah. the, the many streams uh, that have m m maybe different emphases but that are the richness of, of you know the church uh, when I was 10 we moved from Malaysia to hmm. America my parents went to a Bible college there and it was a massive thing I think about them because they were around my wife and I's stage of life now that's huh. how old my parents were when, when we made the move and it's interesting Tanner because you know this is a podcast all about missions and and yeah. how we reframe what we think about you know who a missionary is and you know of course Every home for Christ, we're determined to help every Christian think in a missional way, you know. But I, I, I grew up reading like these stories of missionaries. I grew up reading stories of Hudson Taylor, David Livingston, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. you know, these amazing stories. So we, we moved to America, and I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm, I'm coming to another country as a missionary. And I certainly think my parents thought of it as they were getting training to be sent back to Malaysia. And that's what happened. We moved back to Malaysia three years later. I was 13, finished out my high school years. But I think in, in some ways the Lord, you know, was sending me and preparing me, even reading those stories of missionaries, sending me uh, out of my comfort zone and, and to think about the rest of my life as being devoted to him. So that began the process of my high school years of kind of discerning, Lord, Lord, what is this kind of vocational call on, on, on my life? And I thought maybe music, maybe this or that. So. I studied theological historical studies, but was very involved with the chapel praise and worship team at Oral Roberts University, where I did my undergrad. And from there, it led to connections that were at New Life at church in Colorado Springs. And so my first eight or nine years on staff at New Life were primarily leading worship, uh, writing music, of course, pastoring people one-on-one -on -one and teaching some here and there in the college ministry and sometimes on the weekends. But 2009, Right around, right as I hit into my 30s, I started to discern, like, Lord, where are you really nudging me? And that's when he, he, I really fell in love with the local church hmm. in a fresh way. Um, we experienced a pretty turbulent season at New Life. 06 was a scandal that, that rocked our church, the founding senior pastor. 07 was a shooting that occurred on the campus of our church. I'm obviously breezing through some, some I, major, yeah, it's you know, major moments. But, but I think, uh, the, and those had significance for, in so many ways, and they were tragic in, in, ob in very obvious ways. Um, and for me, the Lord worked through those seasons to clarify this call to serve as a pastor in the local church. And so we started a Sunday night service at New Life. We eventually started a, our first off-site congregation called New Life Downtown, as you know. Yeah. 
and, and had the privilege of serving that congregation for 10 years. And, uh, and, then, and then from there came this call to, to come and, and serve Rock Harbor as, as lead pastor just over a year ago. So that's the high points. And, and the music and worship stuff, you know, I, I think of it this way, Tanner, like my life is, is, has always been about or is meant to be about, maybe meant to when I'm faithful to it, um, helping to raise up worshipers in spirit and in truth, that John 4 desire of the Father and, and I think sometimes I've done that from the musical side with a guitar in my hands. Sometimes I've done it with a Bible in my hands. Sometimes I've done it across coffee tables and classrooms, uh, wherever. I think the goal for me is always to, to help people see greater truth and greater depth of the spirit. And in all of it, not to just gain knowledge or notches on our spiritual belt, but to be able to say, yeah, we actually the end, the end game is that we all become worshipers. It's so interesting that you say that your life, your life calling is to see worshipers in spirit and in truth. Um, I'm coming from a missions, I mean, I'm sitting here within an organization that's committed to evangelism around the world. And that, that could be the exact same you know, response from many of our evangelists around the world is that their, their heart as evangelists are that. And I just see you, I've seen that, I've seen you embody that in different seasons. I was actually part of um, Sunday night as well. Uh, I remember going up and uh, enjoying, uh, enjoying our time uh, just fellowshipping there and just the unique expression that you've always led mm. people in, Glenn. You've always mm. really done a good job, I think, of carrying people's hearts uh, before the Lord and, and really pastoring them, nurturing us, I'd say mm. us, uh, mm. into maturity. And so I'm so, I'm really grateful for your story. There's a hundred different places that I, I would, <laughs> I could jump in and ask uh, more questions. One of the things as you're talking I'm still a little bit curious about what that was like for you to move mm. from Malaysia. Mm. And you, you, you mentioned, you know, you had these missional heroes in the back of your mind, whether it's Hudson Taylor or, or, or whoever else, Henry yeah, Martin. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. W when you moved to the U.S., did you see that as, you know, you were sent to the U.S.? Or was it, was it not like that? It was more like preparation to come back? Uh, can you clarify that a little bit? Yeah, that's great, Tanner. I I think our family understood it as preparation, preparation for a mission that was coming back. And my parents, especially because it was a mid-career switch, you know, they went from they went from uh, this. Um, uh, my dad was working in an ad agency. My mom was was teaching at a school, and hmm. they both came back and and started serving at the church, um, helping to launch a Bible school of their own. And then a few years after that, planted a church out in kind of a rural community. So. It definitely was seen as a season of preparation. And for me, you know, I was 10 years old, so it was, it was partly, I mean, I, I, I yeah. although it's funny, I, I, there's a book my parents gave me that I read partly on the flight over, uh, and it was the autobiography of George Mueller. Uh, yes. People who know George Mueller, you know, he started all these orphanages, I think, in Bristol, in yeah. England. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And, and my parents gave it to me as sort of this, you know, you're, you're not too young to start to discern God's heart for the world. And I was so marked by that. It's funny, Tanner. I, you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to write books. When, when I was like 10 or 11 or 12, I had this little like, I don't know, like exercise, like workbook, you know, like a school, um, like a lined rule book, you know, whatever yeah. those, uh, those, you know, those, um, like a, it wasn't spiral bound, but it was like one of those things, workbook. And I, I had started to write my own little book and it was all about how to be an evangelist, you know? Whoa. So I definitely kind of internalized the, the family call of like, this is preparation so that we can go, you know, share the good news with people. That, that is so wild. 
Uh, I think sometimes that the word evangelism has kind of been accosted or it's been hijacked mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's taken now, I think, uh, in such a negative way by so many in the U.S., I think, or in the Western uh, environment. I, I believe it might have been a Barna statistic that I, I had read not that long ago that the word evangelism to like 85 percent uh, of the United States populace mm-hmm. is seen as a form uh, of religi- religious extremism. Uh, and so I, I kind of have, uh, you know, a passion to see that word in some ways brought back into the psyche of people, yeah. but not in such, you know, maybe what the populace is picking up or the average mm-hmm. non-Christian is picking up in evangelism. Maybe there is something that we need to walk away from. Uh, I mean, something that we could, but, but something that we could carry forward with us with that word yeah. evangelism. So when you, when you hear that word, when I say evangelism, you're, you're one of the smartest people I know. How would you define evangelism here today in the 21st century? You know, Tanner, I, I'm not one of the smartest people, you know, but, but you but I are think for sure. Know, listen, but, <laughs> but I think I understand why there's a negative association with it, because I think in people's experience, evangelism has felt coercive. Yeah. It has felt pushy. It has felt a salesy, you know? Yeah. And I, th- and I think even for a lot of Christians in the West in particular, the idea of evangelism was uh, a technique, a sales technique, essentially. Yeah. Like, you do this, ask yeah. them this question, then go, you know. Yeah, bait and, and, a lot of bait and switch. Yes, and it kind of grew up at the same time in American culture that door-to-door salesmen were, yeah. growing, you know. So, so you yeah. kind of had these associations with, oh, he's, is he selling me a vacuum cleaner or eternal salvation? You yeah, know, like, yeah, right. And, and it's unfortunate because... I think the ministry of evangelism, or let, let's define it. Okay, so evangelism, you know, a lot of people will know this. Euangelion is the Greek word there. It means good news. Uh, the, the, the evangel is the person who carries good news. And, and in some ways, you know, it has its roots in maybe echoes of Isaiah saying, blessed are the feet, the feet of those in the mountains who carry good news. So it's a good news of Yahweh's arrival or Yahweh's return. And so there's an Old Testament echo in that of, God has come at last. And man, couldn't there, like, like when I think about the world around us, Tanner, and, and you think about the brokenness in society, and not just in America, but especially, maybe maybe it's easier for us to see brokenness in other places, but yeah. at the same time, we got to be careful we don't ignore the brokenness in our own hearts and communities. But but there's evidence all around, is my point. And when you see that, you think, gosh, who, who can fix this? Surely it's not an, another election or another program or just as simple as this and that or the other. The only answer is if God comes to us again, Again. And so the, the, the good news, the first echo is that God has come at last to do what he yeah. promised. That, that's great news. And then the Roman echo in the first century would have been that, that Caesar's king. I mean, that word, euangelion, gets used to announce Caesar's birth, to announce his, his reign. Um, Augustus, Julius Caesar's, you know, adopted son who kind of, you know, very much plays up that, that, that uh, heritage. Because when Caesar is crowned or sort of hailed as a god, Augustus says, oh, that makes me son of God. And he plays this game of, of, you know, pretending to be humble, laying down his powers before the Senate, only to have them crown him with supreme power. I mean, it's, it's a lot like how Senator, Senator Palpatine becomes the supreme chancellor yeah. in Star Wars, you know. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but, but there are these, there yeah. are these echoes and there, there are um, monuments that we can look at from the ancient world that say good news. Augustus is Lord. And, and, and definitely the early Christians were playing off of this and saying, Jesus is Lord and his Lordship is good news because he b- brings actual freedom. He's actually the Prince of Peace. The Pax Romana is a sham. And even Roman writers would later say Caesar calls it peace, but really he's pillaged and plundered and oppressed people. And, and, and it's propaganda to call it peace. 
And so the early Christians were like, we, we've got a king and a, and a Lord who actually brings freedom, who actually brings peace. I say all that to say, reclaiming evangelism is reclaiming good news. It's reclaiming the good news of what we have to say to the world. And what we have to say to the world is there is a new king. There is God himself who has not abandoned us. There is freedom. There is peace. Uh, there's forgiveness of sins. And so, and so evangelism is the proclamation or announcement of the good news that God has come at last in Jesus Christ to be king of the world in such a way that sets the captives free and brings peace to our hearts. I think that your theological analysis is just so, so rich, but also your social analysis that you kind of started out with there, uh, talking about how evangelism grew up at the same time that door-to-door -door sales um, emerged. And I think that's actually really keen insight. I think I'm speaking certainly as a millennial. Uh, I'm speaking as a millennial leading a global evangelism organization. And I think even myself, I think that if someone were to come and to knock on my door today or, uh, and, and, and start to ask me questions about my faith, immediately there would just be suspicion. Just immediately I would say, yes. what are you yes. doing at my door? Yeah. Why, what on earth? I don't know you. I've never seen your face. Um, you're, for all I know, you could be selling anywhere from, you know, magazines to pans. Yeah. <laughs> um, it could be anything. And, and I think with scarcity of time, I just, I'm not, I'm not looking to have that conversation in that way. And yeah. especially when there's that degree of suspicion. And I think so many people in the West, they probably relate to that to some degree. Um, you know, Glenn, I have some of our best friends are, are non-Christians in that in the last years, my wife and I, my whole family. And I talk with them openly about my faith all of the time, um, but do so within the context of this rich relationship. And never once uh, have I ever been told, uh, you know, to, to close my mouth or to not believe what I believe. It's never been that way. Um, in fact, they're always very open and very receptive. But I asked them one time, what do you think about evangelism? And they were just like, ugh. Yeah. Like, yeah. what on earth is wrong with, you know, with Christians that they think that they can just show up uh, and, and, and speak to, uh, you know, speak to these things in our life without any relationship or out, without any context. So mm -hmm. what, I mean, with this, I was intending to talk about something completely different, but now you so, got me, so good. now you got so me good. stirred up. Um, what, what do you think it is in the 21st century? I mean, to bring good you know, news. Tanner, it's it's complex because I think it's contextual. Yeah. And you you lead a global organization, as you said, and I know every time I've gotten together with with you or with Eric or some different ones from your your team, yeah. and hear stories from yeah. your larger team all around the world, I'm blown away because God is creative and and God knows how to help us contextualize. I, I think you know even biblically, one of the great lessons we learned from the Book of Acts is. The, the the growth of the church or the spread of the gospel is not programmatic. Yeah. Meaning meaning that it, it is intentional and there are certain things we learn from the book of Acts, but what we what we really learn from the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit is so creative and so powerful that he'll work differently in Antioch than he might in Jerusalem and different in Ephesus than he might you know and, and, and all of that that is, we have to take that into account. Uh, let me speak for my context here in in you know in yours as well in America and maybe even here in California, out on the West Coast, like I think, I think what I've, I've it's really confirmed some of the suspicions I've had even, you know, over the years in Colorado. And that is that I, I don't think we start with the personal, meaning I don't think we start with personal guilt 
Um, I, I think <laughs> there was a day where evangelism started right. by saying, don't you wish you could find forgiveness for all the things you've done wrong? And there was a strategy. Was like, let's start by talking about, have you failed this moral code? Or let's start by the Ten Commandments. You know, And I'm not saying that's wrong. I just don't know that that's the first window into yeah. a connection with somebody else's heart. I think we actually start with the um, the cosmic. <laughs> and, yeah. and this is where it's so important for, for Christians to have a wide-angle hmm. lens understanding of salvation. Salvation in all of its wholeness. That Greek word for salvation, sozos, is, is about being made whole. It's about God putting the world back together again. It's about mm. the restoration and renewal of all things, including, yes, including at the very heart of it, putting us and our relationship with God back together. I 100% agree with that. I'm simply talking about where we start. Do we start with the individual and work our way out to the cosmic? No, I suspect in our day in America today, we've got to start with the global, or, or maybe another way to say it is the social. And to say, it's kind of like the words of that wonderful Andrew Peterson song, do you feel the world is broken? Yeah. We do. You know, we do. Uh, and, and do we long for everything to be made new? Yeah, yeah, yeah we do. We do. And, and you start with that, and then you say, you know who is doing this? It's Jesus. And then, and then you say, now what about us? Like, 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 we don't want to be the people that say, oh my gosh, that person, that party, that country, that, per you know, that movement, what about us? And, and as you, as you kind of um, focus the lens in click by click into the individual, all of a sudden then you say, well, actually my own heart is messed up. My own, I can't even control my own reactivity. And, my, and then we say, yes, we, we need forgiveness, don't we? And we need more than that. We need power to become different. Uh, we need more than a new start. We need a new birth. We need a new life. And and that's, that's I think, a possible model for, for evangelism in the West today. I think so, too. I think, I mean, I, I love what you said about context. I love, I mean, that is what I love about Every Home for Christ. And I'm not just saying that because I, I lead this organization. I, it's rubbed off on me. I think I've seen around the world, I've seen people look at people in the eyes and carry Christ to them and, in thousands of contextual ways um, and meaningful ways. And I think that that I'm really wrecked. Uh, that, that's changed my life, seeing the way that um, Christ is carried across cultures in so many different ways. I um, mean, so, and so, like you said, not prog programmatic, uh, just in, in the way that's born from the Holy Spirit. But I, I wonder, I mean, what, what you're saying about kind of the individualistic aspect. I mean, we live in a hyper individualistic society that seems like, you know, my, I would say my layman's, you know, my, my coffee mug kind of assessment of, <laughs> of sociology. It seems like we're an individual, individualistic society getting even more individualistic. Um, and do you, do you feel like there's any correlation with maybe the West running towards even more hyper individualism and the way that we've evangelized and maybe the way that that's impacted, I guess, the, the way that people are viewing evangelism? A hundred percent. And actually, you, your coffee mug assessment is spot on with a well-respected secular sociologist nice. named Jean, Jean Twenge, I think is, is, her la is how you say her last name. She's a sociologist at the University of San Diego. Uh, years ago, she wrote the book iGen, got a lot yeah, of buzz yeah. for that. But, but her, her latest book is called Generations, and it's, right. kind of a mag it's kind of her yep. magnum opus. And she gets to the part of the chapter on millennials um, and then Gen Z. And her assessment on why religion is declining so quickly among millennials and, and then Gen Z is because of an increasing rise of individualism. And not just individualism in terms of like, you know, sometimes we think of individualism as selfish. 
Um, I, I think she's describing an individualism that has come to believe that you can curate your entire life around huh. your own preferences and desires. Yeah. And I think about that, Tanner, as a pastor. I think I'm constantly uh, trying to shepherd people to say, you know, if, if you have a Spotify playlist from here and a podcast from here and a YouTube from yeah. here uh, and, a, and, a, and a hangout group here, that's not the same thing as being committed to a local church. Yeah. And, and in a similar way, take the, the non-believing world. What is religion? What is organized religion? Why do I need to ascribe to a set of beliefs? Why, why do I have to take the whole sort of confession of Christian faith? I like what Jesus said about this, and I like what Buddha said about this, and I like my, my, my meditation practice here, but hmm. that Sabbath thing sounds pretty cool, hmm. and on and on it goes. And so, and so our challenge with evangelism is we, we are bringing a message that, has, that makes a claim on our total life. Yeah. You know, this is what Leslie Newbigin said decades ago, coming back from a pluralistic society in India and coming back to, to England and saying, whoa, 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 this, the gospel in a pluralistic society means that we have to say, announce the gospel, not as a private truth, but as a public truth that makes total claims on, on our life. And, and man, that's, there's no way around the confrontational nature of the good news. I've talked about it as yeah. good news, but we also have to be honest, there's a cross that comes with this good news. And I think it is challenging in the West be precisely because of this uh, individualism. We don't want to dethrone um, self. Yeah. Well, I, I think that maybe to add what you're saying or maybe a, a follow-up question would be around, do you, do, you feel like, do you feel like individualism is having its way? And I, I mean, maybe, maybe we're seeing a fracturing in our world that is coming about because of this hyper individuals mm -hmm. just this morning i was i was reading some statistics from the world health organization 300 and 300 and, uh, over 300 million people on the planet having an anxiety disorder depression uh, over 250 million people on the planet having um, struggling with chronic depression and these i really believe these are real things uh, these are real experiences that people are living through and in the missions world we've talked about people groups um, you know the uyghurs living in western china or or various groups living across africa but I was looking at it in a new light of thinking, what does it mean to carry Christ to this community that's today struggling with depression or today that's struggling with anxiety? You're a pastor of a local church, and I, I imagine that you see maybe the outcomes of our hyper-individualism. Is my assessment correct that maybe individualism, you know, taken to its extreme, is actually causing some of these maladies that we're, you know, that we're seeing today? Or, or what would I be your assessment of that? No, I, I think so, Tanner, absolutely. And I, I don't say that simply from my anecdotal experience, although that's there. Um, great philosopher Charles Taylor wrote a, a huge book yeah. called The Secular Age. I, I did not read all of it. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a meaty book. Yeah. Uh -huh. I just want to be honest with our, <laughs> our listeners here today. Uh, I, I, I did read I uh, James that. K. Smith's um, yeah. summary of it, How Literally. Not to Be Secular. But, you know, Taylor talks about this as an age, age of anxiety, and, and he, he's not hmm. using that word clinically, so I want to be careful mm -hmm. with, uh, here with that caveat. But I think there is a kind of angst that results from putting too much weight or strain on an individual that an individual was not meant to carry. And so often the pastoral conversations I'm having with people is what, what our culture has told us or the lie that we've been sold is hmm. if you could be the author of your own story, if you could be the definer of your own identity, if you could be the captain of your own destiny, 
then that is freedom. That is liberation. And that's the lie that we've been sold. And so we've said, okay, yes, I'll be the author of my own story. I'll be the determiner of my own identity. I'll be, you know, I will, I will set the, and then we start to crumble under the weight of that because we think, I don't know how to write my story. And what happens when I write myself into a corner? What happens when I've failed? What happens when I make a mistake? Yeah, right. I don't know how to define my identity. That, that sounds like, too, what if, what if I get it wrong? What if I change my mind two years from now? You know, the, the, the notion and, and the gender conversation is only one piece of, of this, the, the whole of, identity has become fluid because we've given the pen to the wrong person we put it in our hands and 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 so i i do think some of this weight of angst that maybe is manifesting in clinical ways is because we're carrying a sense of power that we weren't meant to carry uh, we're carrying a weight we weren't meant to bear and once again the gospel is good news because it says to us there is a god who knew you before the foundations of the world there's a god who knew you in your mother's womb there's a god who named you and called you and 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 gave his life for you and came for you and saved you and wants to fill you with his spirit and wants to send you out uh, with a purpose and with a mission uh, there's there's a god who loves you uh, that that to me is is it's revolutionary good news uh, if we could get to the core of who we are and if we would be willing to dethrone the self yeah. and turn over the pen um to the author and the finisher of our faith that's i, I think it's so beautiful and i guess i want to give a also a caveat that i i'm not saying that i think that depression or anxiety is fully caused because of just i know that you know sociological things i think i could uh, get myself in hot water there but i no, i know I, you're not saying that yeah. yeah yeah i i do feel like it speaks also, though, to the way that we evangelize in the 21st century, especially in the West. Um, imagine, you know, our society that is is filled with people that are, you know, maybe because of the weight of, of, of carrying the pen in their story are struggling with anxiety or depression or, mm-hmm. um, like you said, I- issues in their identity. And then you show up like a, a salesman, you know, mm-hmm. you show up looking, you know, looking slick and you know, knock on their door, and we wonder why there's this pushback and this resistance. Um, you know, one of the one of the things I've been uh, trying to to wrestle with is, what does the message of heaven and hell sound like to someone who's struggling with chronic anxiety? Mm, mm, mm. You know, what does that message sound like? I'm not saying I'm not talking about whether it's right or wrong, true yeah, or not yeah. true. I'm sure, just saying, sure. what does it actually sound like contextually? What would a message like that sound like? Um, and so uh, these are just, I, I, we're just now we're at, you know, at this point just processing. I, I, you know, it's such a good question, Tanner, because there's the whole, like, I think, I think the other part of evangelism that is baked into the name of your organization is hospitality. Yeah. The, the, the early Christians, when they were the minority group uh, in a pluralistic society, they relied so much on a radical kind of hospitality. I, I don't mean lemonade hmm. or milk and cookies or have people over to your home. I, I'm, I'm talking about the kind of welcoming the outsider or the other, the xenophilia hmm. is the Greek word in the New Testament, is welcoming the stranger, someone who's not like you, someone who's hmm. different from you. Uh, Christians were at different points and have been at different points in our story really great at this and then really poor at this but when we've done it well we've seen the gospel really bear fruit and when when we do it well we use the power of our homes to create welcoming spaces for hmm. people who are not like us where like what you're you're doing with these friends of yours where there's a relational connection and a place to process and a place yeah. to unpack and i think that's so important because 
like you said, it's not that we don't believe in the realities of heaven and hell, but sometimes I think we're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You know, like we're 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 we're, we're, we're putting yeah, it in the we'll foreground. Which you know, I I look at the preaching in the Book of Acts, and most certainly they talk about a final judgment. But what they really talk about is it's an announcement about Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus. There's a reason we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the Gospels, and the bulk of that book is not. Um, heaven and hell if you die tonight the bulk of that book those books are the story of the life death resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and and, and if we tell that story to a person who's sick or who's uh, depressed or who's chronically anxious I, I'm not saying it makes everything go away I'm not saying it, it cures all our problems we know we live in frail bodies with frail brains that that our brain chemistry and all this stuff that we won't see the full redemption of which until the end of the ages you know when when we get re restored bodies but even that is part of the jesus story so when we tell the mm. story of cross and resurrection of the savior who died and rose again we're telling the story of a savior who not only died to take away our sin and our guilt but a savior who was raised again so that one day we will be raised up too one day our brains will not be fra as fragile and broken as they are now uh, one day our bodies will not be uh, sick and and twisted as they are now and and all of that is part of the Evangelion. All of that is part of the good news we're meant to announce. Yeah, so I think expanding, I'm trying to just process for myself, expanding the aperture of what we, what we bring and what we carry to people away from just these maybe simple bite-sized evangelistic, you know, bumper sticker type nuggets that we yes. would bring to people, but bringing something um, broader, bringing a broader message. But I also, you're, you're talking about disruptive hospitality or radical hospitality. I like, this, I like that phrase, disruptive hospitality. Yeah, that, like that, that brings in people, that brings in um, maybe the person that is feeling like they're on the out, you know, on the outside of society or they're, or they're, they're experiencing the, particularly the, the weight of the fall. Um, this type of person being accepted, bringing, you know, belonging to a group, I think is a beautiful, a beautiful picture of a broadened evangelism, uh, you know, a, a reclaimed evangelism, as you said uh, earlier. In Orange County, you live in a unique spot, a new spot. I know you've, you've been there uh, a year. That, when I think of Orange County, I think of a place where, uh, man, a, a place where success is, is evident. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you see people and their success and you can see, I mean, just even externally and the cars that they drive and then the houses that mm -hmm. they live in. And I know, I know that's naive. I know, you know, there's more to that story. When, when you look at evangelism and as we talk about evangelism uh, in, in the most broad sense, more in an applied sense, what does it look mm -hmm. like to carry Christ or to, to evangelize in a context like Orange County? Um, mm. Yeah, you, you, well, you're not wrong. I mean, it, it is it is a place where success is. Um, it's kind of it's it's a, reminds me a bit of the biblical city of Corinth. You know, like the, hmm. the idea is to appear successful, hmm. uh, and success is defined in a number of different ways. Sometimes success is defined as the perfect body. Sometimes success is defined as as uh, the 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 car or the house or the job or the deal. <laughs> or sometimes success is defined as you don't even have to work. You know, and so you, 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 you can dress in leisure clothes because you get to just do your hobbies every day. Um, but it's, of course, it's a veneer and, and it puts an incredible strain on people. And so sometimes people find themselves in over their head, over leveraged, financially stretched. Hmm. Uh, sometimes it puts incredible strain on marriages because there's tensions about money and tensions about hmm. uh, hab spending habits or values or goals. 
Uh, and it also puts a tremendous divide in society. And so, huh. so there's a lot of diversity in Orange County, it, you know, um, 34 different cities all kind of mashed up together. Each one's about 100,000. So you got 3.4 million people in, in the county. But but there's a lot of diversity, but a lot of that diversity is, is in, in a sense, segregated. And so sometimes wow. you have po- sub pockets of by ethnic groups. Sometimes you have sub pockets by economic. Um, yeah. I don't want to say class, but by economic, um, you, you know, state status and 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 so that that creates an opportunity as a church um first of all to say hey what does the radical body of christ look like we're supposed to cut across every strata here and not just the ethnic and cultural ones but also the economic ones you know um and and how do we do that and how do we actually practice that and it's it's a challenge i will also say that there are many many people who have um financial resources that are extremely generous and and humble yeah and and they they've got a kingdom lens for resources and that's really great and then for others we have to the job is to show them it's to pull on the thread really my job is sometimes a little bit like the teacher in ecclesiastes is to pull (laughs) on the thread and let the whole sweater unravel you know and (laughs) to say oh you 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 think that's what it's about let's pull on that oh it's nothing is it okay what about this you think that is you think status you think that you know let's pull on that and and chase that see how far that goes and to show them that all of those things are good, but when you make them ultimate, they actually become bad, and that's that's the that's hmm. the weight of of uh, that's again another one of the lies of our age is you take a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing, all of a sudden it becomes a destructive thing. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it's such a unique as an outsider, admittedly from as an outsider. I grew up in the great state of Montana, so Orange <laughs> County and the great state of Montana, like I could be different countries easily um but i can see how how unique it would be to disciple or to evangelize in a place like orange county but i i don't think it's hard to imagine um where the human need would be and as Mm -hmm. you said there are still people that are left behind there are still groups Mm -hmm. of people that are on the outside looking in Mm -hmm. um and even just to circle back to our conversation about um the fruit of hyper individualism or the the age of anxiety like you referenced i think in some places in some ways a place like orange county is really can be an embodiment uh, of that because of the success is so yes. often built on on that kind of individualism well that's right well l- that's let me right. let me ask you a question glenn this i'll i'll finish our, our time with this question this is my fi- favorite question i ask this every time um i got some terminology i i want to just admit that I'm fully plagiarizing uh, on this uh, on this terminology, but I had picked up one day a magazine off a newsstand, and it was about Mother Teresa, and I was reading in my quiet time about the, the ministry of Mother Teresa, and she utilized this language. She used the, utilized the language, carry Christ. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just really beautiful when she was describing her ministry uh, to, the, to those living in the slums or the outcasts or the lepers in India, that she would utilize the language carry. Um, Mm. There's something about that imagery that's, for me, I think is precious, especially in a ministry that has, for years, we've put on backpacks and thrown Bibles and gospel booklets and and backpacks and just carried carried the gospel to to remote areas. But a question that I'm asking to every person that I have jump on this podcast is, when I say the word carry Christ, or that mm. phrase, carry Christ. What what do you think, what does that mean to you today, 21st century Glenn Packham? Mm. Wow. Uh, it is a beautiful phrase, isn't it? I, I think, 
there are two places my mind goes. The first place it goes to is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament of the Ark of the Covenant. David trying to bring it back to Jerusalem as he's become king. And they put it on a cart. And they put it on a cart because they'd seen the Philistines do it. And then the, the, you know, the cow trips, the cart slips, and then Uzzah tries to grab it, and he gets struck down by God. Wow. And, and, and you think, oh, no, you know, God doesn't want us to come close. It's the opposite. God actually wants you to come close from the beginning, not because it's an accident, you know. Right. And God wants you to come close on purpose. And so he, David tells the priest wow. that priests were supposed to carry the ark, um, not put it on a cart. And, and so the priests then consecrate themselves and, and start to carry the ark. And so I think about that because I think every Christian in the New Testament is a priest. And every Christian is meant to be a carrier of God's presence. So we're not meant to have carts in our lives. We're not meant to say, well, let the missionary carry Christ or let the organization, yeah. let the pastor carry Christ, let the church carry Christ, let, let, let the summer camp carry Christ to, teen to my teenager. Let, let, you know, no, 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 you're a carrier. You're a yeah. carrier of the presence, which, which means you got to consecrate yourself. You got to, you know, one of our mentors here at Rock Harbor is a professor at Vanguard University. His name is Bill Doctrum, and he says, holiness is usefulness. And I really love that idea because you clean wow. the dish so that you can use the dish. Uh, consecration is so that we can be used by God. And, and sometimes we're like, we don't want holiness because we don't actually want the responsibility of being carriers of God's presence. Um, or, or we want holiness, but we don't want the responsibility that it's for. And it's like, no, wait a minute, holiness and mission go together. You know, we're, we're consecrated that's right. so we can become carriers, and that's for everybody. Um, but when because you said Mother Teresa, my mind also went to another place when you said carry Christ. And I thought about what Jesus said, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. And so just I'm imagining this dear saint carrying little children in her arms and as she's carrying the children she's oh. carrying christ and so maybe there's an image here of gosh where are the ways that if i can serve if i can uh, lower myself and wash someone's feet today that actually what i'm doing is, is not just lifting that person up I'm, I'm lifting up jesus oh that was such a beautiful answer i mean i have the chills right now i feel i feel <laughs> i feel like i could just stop and and say a prayer but mm. Glenn, thank you for, thanks for taking the time to just have uh, a conversation. I, we definitely went in a different direction than I thought we would today, but your, your contribution and your, your perspective, I guess, on, on the talk about, topic of evangelism, I think it's just so valuable, so 21st century relevant um, to our audience, both in the West and around the world. It's just, it's, an, it's a reaffirmation that we, we need to consecrate ourselves uh, to broaden our message, to see uh, the people around us in the way that Christ did with disruptive hospitality amongst, mm -hmm. amongst other things and to not leave uh, people behind. And so I, I'll carry away from this message so many, um, probably just invitations, I think, extended by the Lord to my heart uh, to respond to. So I just want to thank you for, for taking the time and being with us. Thank you so much, Tanner. I'm so grateful for you, your family, and for the ministry of Every Home for Christ. I'm, I'm a big believer in what you're doing. Thanks, Glenn. Okay, Glenn, if somebody was listening into this and they're just just excited about what they're hearing from you and they wanted to, 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 to learn more or get in connection with the, the resources that you have, um, how would they go about doing that? 
Uh, probably the easiest way is my website, which is just glennpackiam.com. Glenn has two ends in it. Packiam is pack I am. <laughs> nice. Uh, glennpackiam.com would be the easiest. I'm on Instagram at gpackiam. Also on Twitter, a little bit less these days, but at gpackiam there as well. Or they can take the journey to go to Rock Harbor, which is in Orange County, go. California. So it's, I mean, you, people might need a road trip. I mean, you know, just throwing that I out come there. Come on over. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Thank you for joining us today on the Redeeming Missions podcast. If you like what you've heard, we encourage you to subscribe so you can stay up to date on all future episodes. Echoing in the prayer of St. Patrick, Christ with us, Christ before us, Christ behind us, Christ in us. Let us carry Christ to our world. Until next time.